Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. And if you don't have a lot of time, you're going to want to listen to this interview I have coming up with John Brandon. He has just written a book called The 7-Minute Productivity Solution, How to Manage Your Schedule, Overcome Distraction, and Achieve the Results You Want. He has been a writer for Inc. Magazine, Forbes, he's Fox News, and many others. He has uh, received his B.A. in journalism from the University of Northwestern, a school I'm very familiar with, as this is where our radio station is right here on the campus of University of Northwestern. This is not his first book. He's awfully glad to have him back in studio. John, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, congratulations on your new book. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really fun. Hey, I love the title. This always gets my attention because everybody feels stressed for time. Everybody wants the the most uh, maximum amount of information things they can do in a short amount of time. Yeah, actually, one of your counterparts here at Faith Radio had mentioned that a seven-minute break is a typical radio break, right? Mm-hmm. Or you're supposed to talk for seven minutes and then take a break, something like that. I found that about Yeah, about that sounds that. about right. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know pay that attention I... in radio school. Well, maybe because <laughs> I didn't go, but <laughs> that would yeah. explain a lot. Yeah, and it's based on science, too. It's called sustained attention spans, so that's how long our brains can focus on something for seven minutes, so that's where that comes from. I would imagine our brains have gotten worse over the last 20 years or yeah. since the, in, the Internet and All the screens. distractions out there, yeah. social media, and I write about that a lot, too, but... You know, our attention span has gotten lower and lower. It's like, I don't know, for Gen Z, it's like three seconds, I think. So, wow. But sustained attention span is like, how long can you listen to a sermon or how long can you pay attention to, you know, a radio program or something like that? And it's about seven minutes. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of your magic happens in the morning. <laughs> yes, it does. It, that is the morning routine, which you consider critical. Yeah. And so I start out the book and I talk about this story. And uh, for anyone listening to this, if you've ever heard of Camp Shamana, it's a Christian Bible camp up in northern Minnesota. Very grateful to them because they actually let me go to their, they own an island, a private island. And I go, I've been there probably three or four times. And I start out telling the story in the book about how I went to this island once in winter And I decided I'm going to write a chapter of the book and I'm going to really get into this and I'm going to isolate myself. And I got to the island and I was just feeling sort of stressed and agitated, like, what am I going to eat for breakfast? And what is this really going to work out? Is there going to be a wild animal, you know, rummaging around (laughs) out at the cabins? And what happened was, is I just sort of hit pause and said, you know what, I need to follow my own advice. So I just sat down. It was the morning. The sun was rising. It was a beautiful day, a little cold. I was worried about my laptop, actually. So I just sat down in the cabin and said, I'm going to have my morning routine. And I just used a journal. I just wrote down some of my thoughts for the day. I timed myself in seven minutes. 
just to make sure I go through the entire process. And I talk about this in the book. And I did my own morning routine, and it just set the tone for the entire trip. I was there a couple days. I'm very proud of myself because I did write an entire chapter out on that island. So um, it's one of those things where it just it sets your whole uh, demeanor for the day. Are you going to be productive? Are you going to work on the right things? Is it something where you're going to be very purposeful about your work? Mm-hmm. Seven minutes, uh, John, seems like kind of a short amount of time. What exactly can we accomplish in that time frame? Yep, and and that's based on a well-known productivity uh, standard, which is to make what's called near goals, N-E-A-R, near goals. What it means is that you want to have something that's really doable. Mm-hmm. You don't want to say, hey, every morning you have to have an hour routine doing your morning devotions or doing your morning routine or whatever it is. You want to start out and say just something that's very attain- obtainable, and then what happens is when you do that, you get into a good habit and you learn to do things like in a repeatable way. It's kind of like riding a bike. You always start in first gear. You know, you don't want to start in 10th gear. It just doesn't work out too well. So so why did you end up, I, I know we talked about attention span and everything else, but it, the the repetit- repetitiveness of seven minutes every morning, are, are you reinforcing what you wrote the previous day? Are you reviewing? Are you yeah. uh, pl- uh, plowing ahead with new ideas? What are you doing? Well, one of the really important things about the morning routine is it, when you do this and you do it for seven minutes, you don't want to make a task list. You don't want to like plan out your entire day. All you want to do is just jot down some thoughts for the day. You know, what are you facing that day, good or bad? And part of the routine, and it takes seven minutes, there's a breathing exercise, there's one minute of prep before you do it. And what happens is is it teaches you how to be very diligent with your time, and then that can apply to a lot of other things. But then when you write down things that are maybe bugging you or stressing you out, one of the parts of the routine is you cross those things out. And there's something about what registers in your brain when you cross things out and you say, I'm not going to let that really bother me today. Hmm. Um, And then there's something else in the book that I write about during the morning routine and they're called hope moments. And it's something I invented basically out of thin air. Uh, And what it means is that you're going to write down those really important things that you're looking forward to that day and you chronicle them every day And you say, I'm going to write down, you know, maybe today I'm going to meet someone that I'm going to marry. Or maybe today I'm going to get that raise that I was hoping for. And what it does is it prepares you for the day to have an attitude of hopefulness. And it prepares you for embracing really positive things throughout the day. And then uh, so you've crossed out the stressors. You've written down the hope moments. You've listed a few other thoughts and ideas. And then you're done. It's very, very easy to do. I really, really like that idea because you're living life with a sense a sense of expectancy mm-hmm. because today might be the day you meet that person yep. that offers you the dream job you've always wanted. It right. might be that day yeah, that very you much so. uh, meet that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so why not live that way? Yeah, and there's another routine in the book called the daily debrief, and that's a period of time when you look back on the day and you say, did those hope moments come to fruition? And then the other thing that you do is you say to yourself, 
what were the really positive things that happened? And it teaches you to, you know, basically count your blessings, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Uh, I won't sing the song for you, Bill, but uh, maybe you. next time. No, uh, not even next time. <laughs> Never. No, yeah. let's just do that in writing right, <laughs> right. now. No, no we'll next time. We'll just talk about it, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, so count your blessings, you know. Write down the hope moments, the things that were really you're really excited about during the day. And again, recording it, um, there's some statistics on this that say you're 35% more likely to remember something if you write it down. That number goes up even higher if you have a mentor or an accountability partner and you tell them about something that you've written down. Mm -hmm. I think it goes up to like 70% at that point that you'll remember it. So John Brandon is my guest. He's written a book called The 7-Minute Productivity Solution, How to Manage Your Schedule, Overcome Distractions, and Achieve the Results You Want. So John, does productivity mean doing more? Oh, I love that question. It actually means doing less. Okay, uh, now you're my kind of guy. (laughs) Book him again, Rosie. Honestly, the reason why is because you have to think about, am I working on the right things? And sometimes the, uh, my son-in-law is a pastor in Austria, and I love telling this story because sometimes in the morning he does his routine, and then sometimes he just writes down one thing that he wants to accomplish that day. And what's so cool about that is it teaches you about priorities. You know, he just has one, he wants to share the gospel with just one person that day, and it's very achievable, achievable at that point, you know. Um, maybe it's two or three things, but the idea is, you know, having a long task list doesn't mean that you're going to get all that stuff done anyway. What's really important is, are you working on the things that matter the most? And then also, are you working on the things that you really want to accomplish in life? And that's the mistake that most of us make. We work hard. We scroll, doom scroll on our phones all the time through social media. I know you probably don't do that, Bill, but... Uh, I tend to get sucked into that stuff sometimes. You're, if you're working on the wrong things, you can feel busy. And you can feel like you're accomplishing a lot. But true productivity is are you being purposeful and working on the right things? All right, John, what about distractions? How, how are we going to overcome distractions? Yeah, and there's a routine for that too. So I, I'm teaching people to spend seven minutes with social media instead of, you know, four hours, something like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and I have to say, I struggle with this too. I'm far from perfect. I'm not always the most productive person. And I wrote the book just as much for myself to do these things and to teach healthy, good That's habits. That's what makes it a good book because yeah, yeah. you believe in it. Yeah, I believe in it. Yeah. I need it myself. Like I mentioned on that island right in the first chapter, I needed that time in the morning. But you know what's so crazy about it is that so many of us don't do that. We start the day and we just log right into email, you know, or we browse Facebook right away. And I think what I'm trying to do is say there's some practices and routines and good productivity and being purposeful, it can ward off distractions if we're really intentional about it. Um, in the seven-minute routine for social media, it teaches you, you know what, just spend seven minutes doing social media, read a few comments, do a few posts yourself, and then log off, turn off the app, delete it if you have to. Don't go back to it until later in the day. Mm-hmm. Great advice. John Brandon is my guest, the seven-minute productivity solution, how to manage your schedule, overcome distractions, and achieve the results you want. We take a little break when we come back. Lots more with John.
Are you being productive? And if you're not, I got a great book for you. It's called The Seven Minute Productivity Solution How to Manage Your Schedule, Overcome Distractions, and Achieve the Results You Want. You're not going to believe this, but I have the very person in studio that wrote that book. His name is John Brandon. So, John, we talked about distractions. What about if we've got routines? You know, it's like if you ever take a golf lesson, the golf instructor has you unlearn bad habits. Mm-hmm. He deconstructs your golf swing, and it, <laughs> and it's all of a sudden becomes very uncomfortable. But that yeah. new golf swing is going to hopefully produce better results. So how do you unlearn some of the habits? Yeah, and I'm a cyclist, and I mean the kind that you pedal yourself, and I do it all the time here in Roseville where I live. And my favorite analogy of productivity is that people sometimes get on a bike And they start in fifth gear, they start in a higher gear, and then they give up after a while. And I think what I'm here to say is that, you know, start in first gear on these things. And if you have a bad habit, um, let's say you're taking on too much, you're trying to just break down that habit. Well, think of the bike analogy, start with something easy, start with something small. That's why it's only seven minutes long, you know, for a lot of these routines, Mm -hmm. all of these routines, I should say. Um, do something that's easy to start out with, and then you're going to find that you're successful at it. So, When you focus on what's important, what happens when you have a hard time committing it to paper because the very idea of committing to it on paper might suggest that it might not happen or you might not succeed, and you can't face that failure? Yep. <laughs> uh, one thing I would say is that goal-setting is something that I tackle in the book. And a lot of times people set these big goals and they say, like, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to lose 50 pounds or I'm going to overcome this bad habit or I'm going to try to not ever use social media or something like that. What happens is people end up failing at that, usually after maybe a couple months, maybe after six months or so. But then they come back to it and they do it even more And what I'd like to say to people, anyone listening to this, if you have a bad habit that you're trying to break, let's say, let's pick on one that maybe all of us struggle with to some extent, maybe not you, Bill, but I definitely do, is losing weight, eating healthy, you know, eating too many donuts, things like that. Try not to say to yourself, tomorrow I'm not going to eat any sweets at all. I'm only going to eat salad. Don't, Don't say that to yourself because it doesn't work. Start out with an easier goal. Say to yourself, in the morning, I always have, you know, um, honey on my toast or I always have sugar in my cough. Something really small just to teach yourself the habit of denial and saying to yourself, okay, I'm not going to have a donut today all day long. And that's my only goal today. And then once you break that little habit, then harder habits are easier to break down the road. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, even if you have honey on your toast, just put honey on Half of it. Yeah, there you go. I mean, little yeah. tiny steps because yeah. then you go, hey, that wasn't that bad. Yeah. I ended up only eating the half that had the honey on it, but, you know. Yeah. And, uh, I, and I honestly, I didn't invent these concepts. Productivity experts have been talking about near goals for a really long time. Mm-hmm. There's a guy named James Clear who wrote a book called Atomic Habits, yeah, and he talks that. a lot about this stuff. Um, the thing that I'm offering to people is that what if you can just do these habits for a seven-minute period? And this is the challenge. You know, read the book, try the morning routine, try one of the other routines, and just try something and see if it works for you for a little while, and then it will teach you to have these habits long-term. Mm-hmm. 
All right, John, what if you're in a job and there's lots and lots of meetings and, and it's actually pulling you away from your work and you don't know uh, what to do and you don't have control over these circumstances, but you definitely want to be more productive. Mm-hmm. How do you make sense of that? Well, you said the word meetings, which is, you know, a, a slang term for a lot of us, right? Uh, like we don't we don't like to be in meetings and they're they're boring and they're long. Um, I do have a chapter on meetings in the book and I'm suggesting that to be productive and purposeful in our work, there are meetings should be much, much shorter. I'm saying actually seven minutes long. And I call it a huddle. What it means is that all the hard work that you do outside of the meeting, you know, research or analysis or interviews or whatever it is, then you come in and you do a meeting with other people and just do it for seven minutes and make a decision and, you know, make a big decision together and then break and go back to your real work. So, um, you know, if you read the book and at some point you're going to get to the meeting chapter and it's going to say that you can only do, you only have to do meetings for seven minutes, that's a big takeaway because most of them are like an hour Hmm. or more. If I had one of those scepters, I would knight you, Sir John Brandon, (laughs) right now, because that is such good advice. You know, I think there was a big company, uh, I can't think of it right now, but their theory was if you're in a meeting and this is not, the meeting is not, you know, applying to you or working for you and you Mm -hmm. really have to get back to your work, you are absolutely free to leave. Yep. And there's no questions asked. Yep. Yeah, I, I think most meetings are way too long. And, you know, some people might argue seven minutes is too short, but I've done them quite a bit. And I do them here at work and I do them quite a bit, even just with writing the books. I, uh, the book, I've done seven minute meetings with editors uh, as I was writing the book. And it's just it teaches you to focus on the big decision that you need to make and not just linger and do all the other stuff that we do in meetings. Mm hmm. So let's talk about debriefing. What does that mean? And is that something you're, you should do every day? Yeah, and I, I talked about it earlier. The The daily debrief is just as important as the morning routine. It's really the bookend to that. So in the morning, you do a routine where you write down your random thoughts for the day, your hope moments that I talked about earlier. And then at the end of the day, you look back and say, did I actually work on the things that matter was I purposeful? And what this does, uh, Bill, is it recalibrates your whole thought process and it says, okay, tomorrow I'm not going to make those mistakes. You know, if I do a daily debrief and I look back and I say, I spent an hour on Twitter, okay, that's that's kind of a big problem. So the next day I can say, I'm not going to use Twitter at all because it's sort of a waste of time anyway. Um, it's a way to just look back and say, was I productive? Did I work on the right things? Tomorrow is a fresh start. I can do something totally different and be more purposeful. Mm-hmm. In Chapter 20 of your book, The 7-Minute Productivity Solution by John Brandon, it's entitled, What Happens to Your Brain When You Surf? Now, just I want to piggyback on your comment about following Twitter for an hour and wasting time. Uh, tell me more about what happens to your brain when you surf. Yeah, and there's a famous author named Nicholas Carr. He's just such a good writer. He he wrote about a lot of these things that are happening in our brains when we're tuning out. Um, here's one way to think about it. When And I hope no one ever does this, but when you're driving in your car and you look down at your phone, your brain actually blocks out everything around you, almost like it's pitch black, you know? And you're looking down at your phone and you're not seeing anything around you. Well, imagine living in that state for hours at a time during the day. Um, there's been studies that say that when we're checking email, 
we actually stop breathing sometimes because we're anticipating an email from mm. the boss or a colleague. And it, it's we're worried about it. We're anxious about it. So we stop breathing. When we're surfing the web, it's even worse because I don't know if you've experienced this, but you can dig into a topic and it feels so much like you're productive. And two hours later, you've been researching, you know, which uh, which cat to purchase or something like that, you yeah. know, and you've gone through every different possibility out there under the sun. And guess what? You're not really being productive. And it's just uh, time moves really fast when you're doing that. And, and that's a problem because you're not making the most of that time. You're mm-hmm. just using up time. Yeah. All right. Here's a hypothetical uh, conversation we can have. Let's say... Uh, I say to you every weekend, hey, John, I made a list of everything I was going to do this weekend. I didn't get to half my list. Yep. What would you say to me after a month? Yeah. So, and, and I talk about this in the book. There's a famous story about Warren Buffett who was, you know, he's rich enough that he's having someone drive him around in a limousine or whatever. And he was talking to his driver and the driver took advantage of the opportunity and said, you know, how how many things should I try to get done per day? Should it be 25 things or, you know, 30 or 40? And Warren Buffett gave a pretty famous answer. He said, well, make a list of 25 things and then cross out 20 of them and do five of them. Mm. And I think that's really good advice because what you're doing is you're saying those 20 things, I was just trying to be a completist. I was trying to make a long list. Uh, Marissa Mayer is the former CEO of Yahoo, and she's pretty famous for saying, if you have a long list of things, there's probably about 10 of them that you just listed because you wanted to have a long list. That's so interesting because yeah. that makes you look like I've I've got a lot of things I'm going to do yeah. and I'm right. an important person and I got a lot so, to accomplish. So listen to Warren Buffett, listen to Marissa Mayer, uh, do about five things and make them really good things. Yeah. And if you get to the end of your list and you realize you've crossed them all off, doesn't that create that, a sense of satisfaction? It, it, it does. But the thing is, is there might be about 10 items on that list that you probably shouldn't have done anyway. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever um, look at your list and go, Hey, I did this and I forgot to put it on the list. You then put it on and then cross it off. Rosie <laughs> right. said, "Yeah, she does that." Yeah, yeah, and, and that's a little and neurotic. Just so you know, my my wife doesn't let me do grocery shopping because I'm really terrible at it because I just grab random items. But usually, the way it works better in task management and and sort of productivity with purpose that I talk a lot about is get the things that matter. You know, if you go to the grocery store. Get the most important things. If you're doing a task list, make a list of the most important things. John, thank you so much for being in studio and doing the show. Oh, yeah. John Brandon's been my guest. His book is The 7-Minute Productivity Solution, How to Manage Your Schedule, Overcome Distraction, and Achieve the Results You Want. We'll take a little break, and we'll be right back with lots more.
Welcome back to the show. I'm on Richard Barr's website right now, and I love his marching orders. It says learning, serving, following, and aiming to have others join the journey. He has written a couple of books, one called Amazed, Why the Humanity of Jesus Matters. Another one is called Those People, the True Character of the Homeless. He has a tremendous heart for people who live on the fringe of society, and I'm awfully glad to have him in studio with me today. Richard, welcome back to the show. As I told you, Bill, it's very charitable for you to continue to have me back. Well, so you call you. and I say yes. It's a good deal. <laughs> it's a good deal. So we just came off our Thanksgiving weekend, and I know that you have a amazing uh, ministry feeding people, and maybe you can just give us a little recap of how Thanksgiving went. Yeah, so that's one of the things that we're involved in. So we feed, we have it in, in Minneapolis uh, is where I'm based out of, and so we've got a... Um, a breakfast ministry that serves every day, 365 days a year. <clears throat> We've got seven teams that each work a day of the week. And so Thanksgiving is, last time I checked, is always on a Thursday. Yeah, I checked. And so, yep, so Thursday morning, you know, we did our thing like we always do, grits and oatmeal and cold cereal, but we had, of course, some pumpkin pie. And nice. we had a few extra kind of little things for people to enjoy. Um, so it was, yeah, it was it was nice. You know, this the... The the challenging thing is is talking to some of the guests, and I would ask them, you know, like, so what's your plans for today? What do you got going on? And, you know, many people in that community that we serve, our guests um, are maybe estranged from the family ties are, are strained uh, to the point where maybe they don't get together, don't have a place to go. And especially during COVID, there's been fewer places that have been open, too. There used to be restaurants and some things like that that would be open to serve a, a noonday meal and there was just an awful lot less of that the last couple of years. I know that your experiences are quite varied, and you're the kind of person, and I need to remind my audience or introduce them to you in a way that is fascinating. You will meet and make friends with people holding signs on street corners, and there's a good chance within the course of that year they may be sitting at your table on Thanksgiving eating a meal with you and your family. I had a old friend of mine joined us this year uh-huh. again for yep. Thanksgiving. Yeah, he didn't grow up here originally, but moved here and uh, was homeless. And so I met him serving breakfast one day about probably 10 years ago. And we've continued to stay connected and friends. And so he just moved into, he's a veteran, and he just moved into some veteran housing down in kind of the south end of Minneapolis down by the airport. Just got his new apartment like on Monday. Oh, wow. And he sends me texts. He's like, I got a new address. If you're going to come and get me, you know, you got to come. I'm like, okay. So, yeah. So we hooked up for Thanksgiving and watched some football. He's a nice. Cowboys fan, which was really too bad for him. But um, but it was, yeah, we, we had a great time. He's a great guy. Yeah, I, I love those stories. When we have encounters with people on the street or at corners, I, there's always the curiosity, how, how can I best help? What can I do? I think the world feels more dangerous than ever before. And you don't want to have, especially in, you know, in Minneapolis, you hear about all the carjackings and, you know, yeah. do you roll the window down? Do you make yourself vulnerable? I mean, the, ga- the game has changed a little bit. I, I don't mean to call it a game, but I mean, the, the interactions are more dangerous. Yeah, there's some continued developing and emerging challenges, yeah. I think, with that. So um, I would, not that I'm going to promote my last book, but in the Those People book, uh, in the appendix there. You can promote I, your last I, book. I ta- oh, yeah. I've already brought it up. Did I tell so you, you I wrote it? You, you told, yeah. Yeah, it's called Those People, The True Character of the Homeless. Well, thank you, Richard Bill, Barr. for bringing that up. Yeah, yeah. So I'll mention there's it again. Appe- there's Richardbar.com. <laughs> 
<laughs> there you go. That's all I'm giving you. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> I'm good with that. So there's an appendix in the back of the book where yeah. I talk about dealing with panhandlers. And uh, and you're right, yeah, there's some new dynamics in many of the larger cities now since a lot of the unrest that we had last yeah. year. And um, I think the common thing I would tell people is to I, – I wouldn't urge anybody to put themselves in a place where they feel unsafe. However, I do find that um, everything begins with the eye contact. Mm-hmm. And I, I just was in a um, a book study on Monday night. Some people had me over because they were going through the Those People book, and they're like, hey, the author lives in town. Why don't we have him over? So you know, I got a free piece of pie and a cup of coffee. Nice. I was good with that. We talked about the book. What kind of pie? Uh, pumpkin, hello. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Left, leftover pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, the the idea of this this uh, kind of social contract that we make with people when we make eye contact where we're – you look at somebody and there's this expectation that there's going to be an exchange, certainly words, mm-hmm. but maybe more. And yes. so we talked about that that night. People are like, yeah, well, you know, I'm afraid to, I don't want to look at the panhandler because then there's such this expectation, you know. And so my response to that is, is that if you're somebody that deals with, if you're, if you're in situations like that on some sort of regular basis, Rather than being surprised about that and then not knowing what to do, and then therefore the default is, I'm not going to look, why don't you have a plan? I mean, think ahead about, so what situations would I be comfortable in? When mm-hmm. when when would it be okay for me to roll my window down? There might be certain parts of town or certain corners you might be okay with that. And then what are you okay giving? You know, people... Like cash is something that people struggle with. You know, should I give cash? Are they just going to do something I don't want them to do with it? Don't give cash. Give socks. Give gift cards. Bring fresh fruit, bottles of water. There's all sorts of things that we can do. So, but the idea is, is that you know, don't over and over and over and over deny that social contract, that look with people. Make a decision in advance. I mean, have a plan to yeah. do something. I had an experience. I think it was last spring and I rolled my window down and I said, hello. And he said, thank you for looking at me. I'm a human being. Hmm. People don't look at me. And I thought, wow, I was very convicted. I hear that over and over and over. I've had people say, hey, Rich, you know, do you know what it's like to go through a whole day without somebody looking at you? I mean, we try to avert our eyes again because we don't know how to engage. It's like, what what do I say or mm-hmm. Um, and if we make eye contact, then I'm obligated to do something. Yeah, there's some sort of implicit agreement yeah, that yeah, we right. have. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's awkward. So, again, the reason it's awkward is because you haven't thought about it ahead of time. Yeah, like, if I'm in point. that spot, what would I do? Yeah. Yeah. Have something planned, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's helpful to have a number of things in your car. I know I've gone to Costco before or the big box stores and gotten a whole bunch of socks and you have tracks. You can have four spiritual laws. You can have uh, Subway gift cards or that other sandwich shop, whatever. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. Not calling out any names uh, that, as far as I know. but you the know, that sponsors it, your show? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to sponsor it, go ahead and call me. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of, the, got a one, plan. one of my favorite things to do is I've got a, a fast food gift card, five bucks, and I tape it to a little message track. It says Jesus right on the front of the track. And nice. then I hand it to him and I say, hey, man, here's five bucks for a meal. And then there's a little message from my boss that you can read while I'm enjoying it. And so they look at it and they're, oh, they laugh you yeah. know, and say, oh, I get it. you know. Yeah. But, so, but it creates a little levity, but it also sends a message too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. So 
in the last couple of years with COVID, I think I've read and I've understood there's been uh, greater food shortages, greater food insecurities. There's more people not knowing when their next meal is going to come. And I know the food shelves in the Twin Cities area are pretty much swamped all the time. Yeah, and that's a space that uh, the ministries that I lead aren't involved in. I mean, the food shelves specifically a lot. It's more probably the people that are probably beyond that point probably in the in the homeless community exactly yeah yeah but i've heard the same thing that you have too that i mean there's a great deal of struggle but then again you know last year the the government was sending all these food trucks to all these different churches i know the place that we worship at had five food trucks or something like that so there's been attempts to try to step in those gaps Mm -hmm. you know um yeah richard Barr is my guest, and we are chatting about homelessness, and his book is called Those People, The True Character of Homeless, The Homeless. And Richard, the homeless that you encounter, are you finding that there has been uh, not only greater numbers, but um, more challenging issues, mental health issues due to drugs that are on the street that are more dangerous? Yeah, things have changed um, with COVID. Um, Some things are, I don't want to say better, but maybe less acute okay. uh, in a negative way. Uh, and some things are more challenging. One of the, the good things, I would say, is that with uh, some of the government money and funding that's been available, there's a number of the facilities that I know, at least in my town, have been able to tap into that, been able to make some nice improvements and things so that the situations for living are more um, hospitable, uh, cleaner, uh, better able to house people. They've reduced the densities in some of the shelters because of COVID. Mm. So rather than having 130 people jammed in a room, you got 80 people in a room. So it's more humane. Um, the shelters in my town uh, are open longer than they used to be uh, because because of COVID. Because so many other places are closed down. Mm-hmm. So there's so there's some good things that have happened. Um, I think, on the other hand, uh, tensions have been extremely high. Um, even even in the homeless community, there's people that um, s- struggle with, you know, taking a vaccine, not taking a vaccine, and you know, and th- through society, all of society, we've been struggling, wrestling with that question about, you know, where do you come down on that? And and the vaccination rate in, among the homeless communities substantially less than it is in the general population. I've heard numbers like forty percent or something. So. Um, and if you're homeless, you have a greater chance of having underlying medical issues. So if the people that I know that have gotten COVID have gotten it pretty severe. I just saw a woman this morning at breakfast, just got out of the hospital. She's older and man, she was in rough shape. Mm. So tell me about the, the genesis of your feeding with 17 teams five days a week. How'd that all get started? How are you using the word Genesis? In, well, in the like, beginning. Like the beginning. Yeah, oh, the, the beginning. beginning. Yeah. Oh. Like, Can I use that word, Genesis? In the beginning? In the, begin- in the beginning. I think so. Yeah, it Like applies. as a verb? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. In the beginning, how did you get started? In the beginning, Feeding so many started? homeless people when you've got 17 teams of people seven, doing... Seven teams. Seven teams. Yeah, there's seven Thank days in the week. Me. So in Genesis, God created... Oh, there you go. Now you're using my analogy. Full circle. Yeah, full circle. <laughs> So, all right, let's start over. So how did that begin? Uh, after the break, you better do your homework, and then after the break, you'll I'll tell be me thinking about that. how this went down. Richard Barr is my guest. We'll take a short break and be right back. Mm-hmm. 
For joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. and It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. My guest is Richard Barr. Can you name that psalm? No, there's only 151 psalms yeah. or something, right? Psalm 100. Oh, yeah. yeah. Psalm 100. Okay, that's that's terrible because I put that on my blog. I'm actually reading it off your website. <laughs> that I, was, rep- I had my eyes closed. <laughs> I was just taking it yeah. in like, this is wonderful. Yeah, that wraps up our time with Richard Barr. <laughs> okay, um, man, no. thanks for having me. No, let's go back to the, the how the whole food ministry got started, the breakfast ministry. I know you didn't start it, but you jumped on board early on, and now it's... Tell everyone what it's what it's doing. Yeah, a friend of mine uh, named Dave, he was in a Bible study with me 14 years ago and uh, had mentioned that he was going down in front of Salvation Army serving a pot of grits and oatmeal out of the back of his van. And we said, well, how are you doing that? And he said, every day. We're like, what? <laughs> like, you got to be kidding me. So shortly thereafter, there were several people that came around him to try to take different days, and I was one of them, but there were a number of others. And uh, that's how it began, and it developed into really more of a partnership now after all these years with Salvation Army Harbor Light, which is in Minneapolis, where um, we actually cook in their cafeteria, we serve in their cafeteria. Uh, During COVID, we were the only volunteer group that was allowed to continue to operate out of there, so that was a real blessing for us and real honor to show their, their trust and faith in what we do. Um, but that's how it got started. And then by being introduced to that community and making friends, uh, that's really when um, we started our nonprofit, Threshold to New Life, which helps with housing insecurity. And it's more of a restorative ministry than a relief ministry, mm-hmm. I would say. so. And actually, God gave my wife, Carla, the vision for that. I was just kind of along for the ride on that one. Uh, God pressed into my heart the opportunity to be able to write some books. Uh, I became a chaplain, so I do uh, chaplaincy work in the evenings in the street. And I, I look back at all this and I think, you know, I had like a way different plan for like the lane change in my life <laughs> yeah. that I've been going through. But I like to tell people that God ruined my plans, but he, he improved my life. Yeah, exactly. Let's go back to the beginning, though. You know, you just mentioned that you were serving inside the Harbor Light Salvation Army, but you spent years and years and years out in the cold on the street. Well, or so in the, or in the heat, we were, yeah, we were, yep. So Salvation Army early on invited us in to stand in their lobby during the winter time because okay. we're, I'm, this is, I'm in Minneapolis, and so it's a little cold in the winter time, and so we were in their lobby, but we couldn't go into the cafeteria. It was just in the lobby, so we'd have dozens of people crammed in this lobby, all trying to hold things, you know, while they're standing. It was really awkward. So this is like way, way better. Yeah. So. Let's inspire others around the globe to 
find the kind of vision you found and maybe either volunteer, help, start, or try to make the kind of difference you're making? I think it can be very defeatist when we look at the macro-level issues. I know in this group that I was um, doing this book study with on Monday night, we we veered off into this tangent about the macro level of issues and why are there homelessness and are they, is it mental illness or why don't they get jobs? And it's like, makes my head want to explode. There's just too many things going on there. But the reality is, is that we all can make a difference in somebody's life. And the the other factor is that the, the great uh, benefit from that is really that God uses that to change our hearts. I mean, I'm, a radically different person than I was 15 years ago, and it's way for the better. And so God used those acts of service, sacrificial service and giving, to really cultivate and gen- my faith. Um, I mean, I, I think Carla would say I'm a better husband. I think my kids would say I'm a better father, and I certainly was a better leader, you know, when I had my company, and um, I'm at peace more. I give more. You know, but it all started with really one simple thing. I didn't have a grand plan to lead all these ministries and stuff. I went to help my friend Dave serve oatmeal one morning. <laughs> That's what started the whole thing. That's yeah. why I'm here talking to you today is right. because of that. And so because of Dave's oatmeal, everybody can do that. Everybody yeah. can 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 go one time and go check something out. And so it's great to be on this time of the year because I know a lot of people's thoughts turn to acts of service. And um, yeah, they do. They don't know what to do or how to do it, and they want to sometimes do it as a family. Yeah, and so wherever you happen to be coming from, I mean, you'd have to be checking around to see where you can do that. I know, frankly, uh, a lot of the, at least the homeless ministries, get overwhelmed with people that want to do those things. So if you find you get kind of shut out during the holidays, you know, stick with it, you know, and go in January, go in February or something like that. Exactly. Um, I know in your book, Those People, The True Character of the Homeless, you've got, uh, you've chronicled some stories of some pretty spectacular uh, people, I'd love to hear uh, one. Oh boy, from the book. Just had coffee with one of the guys on Monday um, that really struggles. He's in the love chapter, and um, the the book is organized around um, character traits of people that I've met in the homeless community. They're like have this in spades, like way more than me. And this guy has this deep love for his family, for his children, and for other people, like, way more than I do. <laughs> and and um, Tell us why. He, um, he's had a lot of trauma. He came from a, uh, a country in Africa. I'm not going to say what country it was. He was an immigrant, came here, educated in America. He's got a master's degree, smartest, one of the smartest guys that I know has experienced a lot of trauma in his life, both as a child when he was in he was in the militia as a child and came over here, and then he experienced some trauma in his life um, with the death of one of his children. And so with his remaining children, long story short, <clears throat> elected to live out his uh, latter years in a homeless shelter so that he could use his Social Security to keep his kids comfortable with their kid's mom. And that's not the only love story around this guy, but it's remarkable. Um, I don't know. I've often thought, would I do that? You know, I've got four kids. Would I, would I make that kind of a sacrifice for my kids? And I, I don't, I'm not sure I like the answer. Yeah. I, I have to ask a couple of questions. So he's making the sacrifice so they can be in a living situation. Why is not he in that same living situation? 
as far as I can tell, I think it's because of the death of this one child, and I think the how that affected him and affected the relationship with the children's mom. Okay. And so it's like they can't be together. I mean, I, he could have run off. He could have just run off and said, well, you know, you don't want me around here. That's cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to go do my own thing. But he elected to not do that. And she has a chronic illness that I'm aware of. She's unable to work. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a tragic and complicated yeah. thing. Yeah, it sounds that they're not necessarily together, but he's making a lot of sacrifices to try to keep their lifestyle comfortable yeah as best he can yeah yeah Yeah. all right how about one more story from the book well the guy that came over for thanksgiving yeah let's hear about him (laughs) so he um came from another state uh he frankly was kind of mooching off of his family for a lot of years never really adulted you know and uh his mother said, uh, it's time, you know, it's time to move on. And so he decided to take a little bit of a geographic cure, came to Minneapolis because he thought there was going to be a lot more opportunities and uh, was unable to find what he was. He was looking for something in the culinary industry, couldn't find anything, ran out of money, ended up in a homeless shelter. And uh, the thing I, I love about this guy is that uh, he's had a number of jobs, a number of living situations. He's been in and out of shelter, but he's got just so much perseverance, mm. so much perseverance. Um, you know, he's in his late 50s. Uh, he's always got a good attitude. Like, he's always got a comeback plan. You know, he's always got a comeback plan. And I just think, you know, how many times do we have to be shut out, shut down, before you just kind of throw in a towel and just give up? And this guy just doesn't quit. He just doesn't quit. Mm-hmm. I love that about him. Yeah, that's great. So, Richard, in all the years you've been dealing with people that struggle with homelessness. Have you yourself had any exchanges which you felt like you're, you were in danger? You yourself? Uh, you know, it's weird. I always feel like everybody's always great to me. I mean, wherever I'm in alleys or under bridges. What are you or, doing in alleys? Uh, sometimes <laughs> looking for somebody that I know. You okay. Know? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I don't feel like I'm foolish. Yeah. But I've never, f- I, I, I don't know. People are always really great to okay. me. Okay. Good. Just say that I just glow. Like it's, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I just wanted to ask because yeah. I know there's a lot of people that think I would like to get involved, but the idea of being around homeless people frightens me. So if you haven't served in that community, it's no, you know, it's no different than going on an international mission trip. You know, True. you wouldn't buy a ticket to Haiti or something like that and just show up and say, hey, I'm here. What, you know, what do you think we should do? Right. I mean, you would go with something that was organized. So if you wanted to begin, if you have a heart for the homeless community, get involved with some sort of organization where they can help, you know, involve you in a way that is safe and measured and Mm -hmm. you can get some exposure to that. Yeah. Are many churches today, do they have ministries inside the church that are doing the kind of outreach I know some have prison ministries and jail ministries, and they do. Yeah. What so about if you're ministries? any, I would say most major cities. You know, the major city that I'm closest to is Minneapolis. Minneapolis has a lot, but I think just about every major city, every market that you're in, you know, would uh, church would be a good place to start. You know, there's this. The internet is one of those things too, where some we can Google, we can find uh, volunteer opportunities. I um, I spend a fair amount of time in Florida in the winter time, and so I was doing some. Google in this fall, trying to find like some new things that I could get involved in down there. So, yeah. and sometimes one thing leads to another, you know, I mean, you start somewhere and that's not your thing, but you might learn about something else. Yeah. 
Um, any other little tidbits to have in the car, um, like little tiny bottles of water or anything like that? Is that a good giveaway? Bottles of water, um, fruit can be fruit spoils, so you gotta you gotta move it. Um, yeah. A lot of the homeless people I know don't necessarily have great teeth, so apples aren't always really a great thing uh-huh. to have, um, even though they last a long time. Uh, soft, chewy granola bars, you know, because they got a shelf life of like 10,000 years or something like that. Those yeah. are pretty good. Yeah. Um, small hygiene products, you know, you can put them in a Ziploc bag. Those yeah. are kind of nice and handy. That None of that stuff's real expensive. Right, Socks. Right. Socks are great. They're you know, a winner. They are. Yeah. 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 Richard, always good to see you. Thank you so much for taking time today to be on the show. Thanks for having me, Bill. Yeah. Richard Barr has been my guest. You can go to richardbarr.com if you want to learn more about him and his ministry and see his books. That's B A H. RichardBar.com. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.